If you're an author or plan to be one, get excited because this podcast is for you. Book Marketing Mentors is the only podcast dedicated to helping you successfully market and sell your book. If you're ready for empowering conversations with successful marketing mavens, then grab a coffee or tea and listen in to your host, international best-selling author Susan Friedman. Before I start the show and introduce you to this week's guest expert, I have a special request. In January, I'll be starting a brand new six-week program called Marketing Mastery for Authors. Over the past few weeks, I've done some specific market research to find out exactly what you would want included in this program. On November 10th, I'm starting a beta version of the six-week course at a fraction of the investment you'll make when it launches officially. If you want to know if it's a good fit for you, please apply sending me an email message at susan at avivapubs.com. That's susan, S-U-S-A-N, at aviva, A-V-I-V-A, pubs, P-U-B-S dot com. You can also find the email link in the show notes on the Book Marketing Mentors website. Thank you in advance for your interest. And now, let the show begin. Welcome to Book Marketing Mentors, the weekly podcast where you learn proven strategies, tools, ideas, and tips from the masters. Every week, I introduce you to a marketing master who will share their expertise to help you market and sell more books. Today, my special guest is a book marketing expert. Becky Robinson knows that marketing and selling books is no joke. She's the founder and CEO of Weaving Influence, an online influence building company. She works with authors and thought leaders to help them show up online in the same powerful and compelling ways they show up in real life. She's the host of the Book Marketing Action Podcast, a resource where you can get actionable advice to build your author platform, plan a book launch, launch your book successfully, and sustain interest in your book after the launch. She's helped launch more than 100 books and has learned many lessons in the process. Becky, what a thrill it is to welcome you back to the show, and thank you for being this week's guest expert and mentor. Thank you so much, Susan. It's great to be with you again. Becky, the idea of having an author platform, talk to us about why this is so important for an author to build that author platform. Well, so I'm going to turn your question on its head a little bit, Susan, because I'm not a fan necessarily of the word platform but I do think it's critically important for authors to build communities. And so there's a little bit of a nuance there. When you think about a platform, you think about a place that you're speaking from above. And when I think about a community, I think about being with the people that we want to share value with in the world. Particularly when you're thinking about a nonfiction author, they are most often writing from their core areas of expertise, and they have a lot of valuable content to share with the world. And when they choose to write a book, they're just happening to codify all that knowledge and expertise into an artifact called a book. But even long before the book comes out, I find that it's really important for people to become known for the ideas that they're most interested in sharing with the world. It doesn't work in any way 
to be quiet, silent, not present online, and then to show up with this artifact that's a book and think that suddenly everyone's going to want to buy it. Instead, I think it works far better when people choose with intention to invest in showing up online over time with their core ideas, adding value, creating communities, creating interest, potentially growing a permission-based list where people say, yes, I recognize you as an expert. Yes, I want to hear from you on these topics. So that when the book comes into the world, there is an audience and a community that's waiting to receive that book as a gift that you've written and created. I love the word codify and artifacts. I mean, that is just beautiful. It just sort of adds a whole different level to the idea of a book or a manuscript. Yes, what fun. Let's talk about how would we actually go about building that community? We've got nothing when we start. Where would we start? How would we start doing this? Uh, Again, I'm going to be contrary. I think that you don't have nothing when you start. Everyone comes from a context in which they have existing networks of people who care about them and their ideas. It's possible that when you start, you don't have that in-person network reflected in your online communities, but every person starts somewhere. First, what I would say is, in many ways, we need to announce the intentions that we have when we begin to build online presence. So for me, I joined Facebook and Twitter and all those types of online channels first in 2009. I've been online a while, maybe not as long as some people. And part of what you have to do when you first start is make connections. The advice I have for any person who's building to become an author is to build as many connections as possible as soon as possible and pay attention to not only the people that you know well, but also weaker ties. So many of my initial connections in building my business came from people that I knew in parts of my life that were practically forgotten, but those relationships somehow caught fire in an online world. I'll give you a couple of examples. I have a college friend, not even a close friend, who introduced me to a podcast host who happens to be her brother-in-law. And he's been following my work and my business for a decade. And I recently was a guest on his podcast. That was a weaker tie of a friend that I had lost contact with. I graduated from college in 1992. So this is an old relationship. But that weaker tie, because I chose to connect online, could be renewed and refreshed. I had another example, another college friend, again, 30 years old, these relationships. And that friend referred business to me recently, and we have a big new project as a result. So when you first show up online, what you want to do is you want to connect with as many people as you can. And in many ways, as you do that, you will begin to discover your audience. And what I mean by that is you will find the people who are most interested in the value that you have to share in the world, and they'll find you. Making as many connections as you can. And part of that also means putting a stake in the ground or on the web by owning your own domain. A lot of folks, in my mind, make the mistake of thinking that they can build traction, whether it's on LinkedIn as a nonfiction author or on Facebook or on Instagram. And then when it comes time to launch the book, there's no really easy, streamlined way to mobilize those networks because LinkedIn owns the connection and you can't easily contact them. Once you begin to build connections on social platforms, those are really a place where you can grow awareness about yourself and your work and your ideas 
But the goal is to get people away from those social platforms and onto your website. Once they get to your website, what you want to do is convert them to your permission-based email list so that you have that immediate access to their inbox. And that obviously takes, you know, some convincing because most of us aren't ready to give away our email address to just anyone. So by the time someone is willing to sign up for your permission-based list, maybe it's because you've offered some special resource or maybe it's just because they love you, but you have had to show that there's value that you have to add to them. Yes, that whole idea of enticing people away from Facebook or LinkedIn or what other other platform that they're using because you rightly say that they build up these connections on these social media platforms, but they don't own those connections. They can't market to those connections. So enticing them away or enticing them to sign up, leave their email address. Let's talk about some of the ways in which they can entice them. Yes, they might love you, but on the other hand, they don't really know you that well, but they feel they trust you, but they still sometimes need that bribe, that ethical bribe to bring them over. Talk to us about some of the ways in which they could do that. Sure. Well, I think that you always want to make sure that whatever it is that you're offering in terms of enticing people to join your email list is representative of the type of value that they can expect when they join your list. You never want to attract people who aren't interested in the topics that you're sharing value about. So you want there to be a very clear tie. You know, many of the authors that we serve will create mini books or assessments or checklists that tie directly to the content of their books. And that's really helpful because if I'm interested in this resource that ties to the content of the book that you're about to write, then of course, when the book comes, I will be ready to learn more from you. Whatever it is that you're going to share in exchange for an email address, it should clearly represent the value that you hope to bring in the world. One of the things I hear a lot, Susan, and I'm sure that you do as well working with authors is that, you know, I'll hear authors say, well, I get so much email marketing from other authors. They email too much. I'm not interested. I'm tired of it. And I try to remind authors that they are not the audience. Whatever the topic area is that feels most important to you, you are going to anticipate that email and open it with pleasure if it's information that you need and want. I always think about a parenting analogy. If I were a parent of a child, say, with a food allergy, and I found an expert who was sharing content in an ongoing way about food allergies that helped me to be a more health-conscious parent to my child then I would wait for the email newsletter every time and gladly open it and devour it because it's relevant to my life. I would caution authors not to get too bent out of shape about growing an email list of people who aren't necessarily ready for the content. Instead, you want to take the time to build a permission-based list of people who want whatever the thing is that you're sharing about, whatever the thing is that you're selling. And that list will be far more valuable to you than a list many times its size of people who really aren't waiting to hear from you. It's funny that you must have jumped into my head when you said that because I'm always fearful of sending out too many notices. I know that I'm on lists and I get something every single day and I'm like, oh, this is just a bit too much, but I don't want to unsubscribe. But at the same time, to me, 
it's overkill. I'm like, what is that balance? I mean, you rightly say, and I love the example that you used about the allergy, having a child with an allergy, but is there sort of a, I don't know, rule of thumb that maybe a certain number of times a week that uh, you should be making connection? That's really hard to say. I think for every author or thought leader, that number or the frequency might be different. One of the things I might encourage someone to do if you are sending emails frequently is to watch your open rates and engagement rates. And one way that you can tell that you may be emailing too frequently is if your open rates and engagement rates or click-through rates are going down. I always advocate for experimentation. And I also advocate for creating the most personal and engaging emails possible one of the ways I judge the effectiveness of the email marketing that I'm sending out is on the replies that I receive if I ask a question and invite interaction. If I send out an email and I ask a question and invite interaction and no one responds, then I can get a sense that potentially that message didn't land in quite the way that I wanted it to. But it's always about experimentation. And I don't know that there's one size fits all as it relates to how frequently you can email. I do think that as authors approach the launch of a book, it is typical to increase the frequency of their sending. I'm never actually worried that much, to be honest, Susan, that our clients are going to email too much. Most of the time, what I'm hoping for is that I can get a minimum commitment of a once a month newsletter from our clients so that they stay connected in a consistent way and then ramp up as book launch approaches. But for many people, even doing a monthly newsletter isn't a sustainable cadence. And most people aren't going to be turned off by a monthly newsletter. So I hope that helps. (laughs) Yes. I mean, it just reminds you that the contact is so important and something is better than nothing. Like you said, at least once a month. I mean, I like at least once or twice a week, but I have a hard time doing it every day. If I do a consecutive email blast, I'm suddenly feeling guilty that I'm like, oh, they're going to think it's too much. So I'm in their heads, but it's really in my own head, I know. You mentioned book launch. I think this is a great segue. I'd love you to talk more about the whole idea of planning a book launch. Sure. So often when you say book launch, people think that you're talking about a party or an event. And I envision the book marketing arc as a journey or a process that's in four phases. And I'll really briefly explain the four phases and then put the launch in context. For anyone who aspires to be an author who's listening to this podcast, you should consider yourself already to be on a journey to market the book you will eventually write. And you are in what I call the building phase of your book launch, even if your book isn't written yet. And the purpose of the building phase is to grow your author community or your author platform or whatever way you want to describe that. You want to create interest so that when the book is coming out, you have people ready and excited to buy it and share it. So in the building phase, what you want to do is you want to build your connections. You want to build your permission-based contact list. And you want to build content of value that you can share with your audiences to keep them engaged with you leading up to the book's release. And that building phase can last a decade. And you can be building that thought leadership 
platform. You could be building communities of people who are listening to you, or in some cases, that building phase could be shorter. But about four months before the launch, you switch to what I call the working phase. So the working phase is when you've identified the date on which your book will be released, and you can start to put the people and resources in place so that you have a week or a month of book launch momentum when the book is first released into the world and available at the pub date. In the working phase, you're going to do things like mobilize a launch team for your book, or book ambassadors is another name for the launch team. You're going to be creating specific content that you can use throughout the book marketing campaign to draw attention to your book, whether that's social media posts or graphics or print collateral, business cards, posters, all the things that you're going to need to have leading up to the launch date that you choose. During the working phase, you may also be pitching media so that you can have podcasts or articles or interviews that are coming out at the time of the book's release. So this working phase is the time also that you want to be mobilizing your networks. As I mentioned at the beginning, no one starts with nothing. And we all have relational connections that can be of value to us when we're bringing our books into the world. During that working phase, it's our time to ask for the help that we need from the people who can best help us when the book comes out. There are all these activities that happen in the working phase, and it leads up to, you know, the topic that we're talking about right now, which is launch. And I envision launch as being the week surrounding the publication date, and it can extend to a month. And what you want to do is get a lot of momentum and conversation happening about your book so that you can start strong and that you can make the impact that you want to with your message. A few of the important things at launch are getting some early Amazon reviews for social proof, getting some early social media sharing happening. And the reason that a launch is so important is that people need deadlines. And if you are involving your network and sharing your book, and it's an open-ended, hey, I wrote a book, will you help me get the word out about it? It's so easy for people to forget. But when you say, my book launch is happening the first week of October, will you help me? Putting that deadline around people's participation can be very helpful in in focusing people's energy and attention. You also want to try to focus book sales in the first week that the book comes out so that potentially you can bump into bestseller categories on Amazon, which can expand awareness and reach of your title. There are lots of reasons to try to create that early momentum, but I also try to help authors see that the launch is really just the beginning of a long journey. And I like nonfiction authors to think about the fact that their book has value for years to come. Many nonfiction titles are legacy titles that people would want to buy and read forever. And I encourage authors to think about a minimum of two years of investing in keeping their book in conversations to see what a difference it might make. After the launch phase is what I call the advancing phase, which is really just the ongoing sharing of value related to the book to keep the book in the conversation and to keep providing value through the content that you've created. It's interesting that you talk about the idea of at least two years to just keep marketing the book. It's funny because I had uh, a guest, Dr. Judith Bryles, who talked about the fact that she gets questions, well, when shall I stop marketing the book? And the answer really is when you don't want to sell any more copies of the book. (laughs) Mm -hmm. At least saying 
two years, give yourself two years, because I also get authors who say, well, I'm told that if after three months it doesn't go anywhere, then that's it. It's like, no, that's nonsense. No, there are always, you know, we talked about this before we started to record, Susan, there are always reasons to re-enter the conversation with your book. Potentially, there's something happening in the media that relates to the topics in your book, or there's a calendar, like a holiday that relates to your book. You know, I had a conversation yesterday with an author. His book is called Mindset Mondays with DTK, and it's about changing mindset. Well, he's already thinking ahead to Groundhog Day as being the perfect holiday to remarket his book because Groundhog Day, you want to think about, will things be different next year? How do I change my mindset so that my life can be different next Groundhog Day than it is now? And so he's already thinking ahead about, you know, his book came out in August and what are the different ways that he can continue to incorporate the book and its messages into the world, not only the rest of this year, but into next year and beyond. Because if you write a book, it's because you believe in the message. You believe that you have something valuable to offer. Just because it doesn't go well the first three months doesn't mean that the book is a failure. It just means that you need to keep going. Yeah, and keep going and going because don't they say it takes, what, seven times for people to see a message before it even starts resonating in their brain in some way? So, yes. Let's focus on some mistakes that you find authors make, especially when it comes to the launch phase. Sure. I think the biggest mistake that I've seen in authors is having big plans and failing to execute them. One of the things that I always try to do is to help clients to become realistic about what they can actually accomplish and commit to a sustainable and doable plan instead of an ambitious plan that just stays on paper. That's one of the mistakes. Yeah, and I think that's a really big one because there are some fabulous ideas that people have, but implementing them, especially if it's just them doing all the work, is just almost impossible. It's got to be realistic. I totally agree with you. What else? What other mistakes do you find that authors make? Sure. I think along those lines, authors are reluctant to ask for help. You have ambitious plans. And so what you need to do is evaluate what resources, time, money, energy you have, and who the people are who can best contribute to helping you bring those ideas to life. And I think when authors try to go it alone or Even as it relates to this topic of network mobilization, what I have found in partnering with authors is that people are thrilled to be asked to participate in supporting a book. Most of the time, people are honored by the invitation to support a book launch. And authors instead are reluctant. They worry that they're promoting themselves. So it's important to make the mindset shift of it's a message that they're promoting, not themselves. I guess there's two mistakes in my last comments. One is not asking for help or being reluctant to mobilize their networks in support of the book. And then the other one is to be focused on feeling reluctant to self-promote instead of focusing on the fact that book promotion is message promotion and value promotion. I wanted to tap into the idea of keeping the book alive 
after the launch. During this, let's say we say a two-year period at minimum, what would you suggest that authors do on a regular basis to just sort of keep that book alive and well and in people's consciousness? Sure. Well, I'm going to start with something that's a little bit counterintuitive, but one of the tactics that we've been using for authors in the last year or so that's been exceedingly valuable is Amazon advertising. And it doesn't have to cost a lot of money, but it does help authors' books to be found more easily at the point of purchase. One kind of low-level investment that authors could make is in ongoing Amazon ads to help their books be discovered more readily on Amazon when people are ready to buy a book. That's a tactic that happens behind the scenes. So a few more active things would be really continuing to be someone who is showing up with new value about the content in the book. I'll give you an example. An author who's been in my corner for a long time is a woman named Jennifer Conweiler. And Jennifer has published in the past few years quite a number of books on the topic of introverts and introverts in the workplace. One of the ways that Jennifer has kept her books in the conversation and continued to market to them is by continuing to talk about the topics that are in her books, not only by bringing out new books on the same topic, but also just by creating new video, new blog posts. And so as she goes back out into the world with these valuable content pieces that relate to her books, it's a natural time then to say, check out my books about these topics. And that's not a really salesy approach. It's a value-added approach that ensures that she stays known as a thought leader as it relates to introversion. So so funny because I know Jennifer and I'm like, oh my goodness, she'd make a great guest. She would. To reach out to her. (laughs) Yes. And I think hidden in that is this idea of keep writing books because I am saying it's good to invest in one book for at least two years, but one of the best ways to sell the old book or the backlist book is to come out with a new one. Because if you write something that's amazing, then people are going to go back and read the other things that you wrote. So every book is going to be more successful than the last if you are continuing to provide value. Yeah, I've heard that over and over again. And you see that with some of the famous authors that Sometimes their first book doesn't get discovered, maybe not even the second book, but the third book gets discovered. And then people go back and read the second and the first book that nobody knew about. (laughs) Sure. Well, look at Brene Brown, for example. So many of my authors point to Brene Brown as being someone they want to emulate. Well, Brene has been out in the world for a long time sharing value. And those earlier books did not have the same traction as her later books have had. But I'm sure that many people have gone back to those early books as a result of the new titles that she continues to bring into the world as once you love an author, you want to devour all the great things they've written. And we make the mistake of thinking that Brene's first book was an easy ride, and it likely wasn't. I heard an interview with her a few years ago now, so it's been even more years than that. But she was talking about it was a decade before she saw kind of her popular acceptance in the market. 10 years. And we all think, oh, here I am with my first book. I need to be Brene. My mentor always said it takes 15 years to become an overnight success. Well, then I'm not so far away. (laughs) (laughs) Me neither. (laughs) Becky, 
talk to our listeners about how they can find out more about your services, what you guys offer, because I know that many of my authors have used you and very successfully, they love you. So share that with our listeners who don't know how to get in touch with you. (laughs) Sure. Well, I'm happy to. So our company website is weavinginfluence.com and you'll find a lot of resources there. We have more than half a dozen free eBooks on topics related to book marketing. We have hundreds of webinars with our authors that are archived so you can get a sense of the types of authors we serve all sorts of resources at weavinginfluence.com. And also at weavinginfluence.com, you'll find a link to our podcast, the Book Marketing Action Podcast. And every episode is a blog post. So if you go to the blog, you'll find all of our recent podcast episodes. If you're interested in learning about me and my journey as an entrepreneur, you can also find me at beckyrobinson.com. So those are the two places that I would point folks to. Also, for those authors who may be interested in getting some exposure in their local areas, I founded a site called Hometown Reads, where you can discover the authors from your area. And it's free to sign up and feature your books at Hometown Reads. And you can find that at hometownreads.com. Fantastic. And I can put all those resources in the show notes just in case people weren't able to write them down because they were doing something else while they were listening to this. Sure. So... Let me add one more thing. We Our most recently launched resource is called the Network Mobilization Cheat Sheet. And in it, we outline the way that we advise authors to reach out to their networks for book launch. And we talk about one-to-one outreach, one-to-many outreach, and what some of those asks are that you can make to be able to harness the power of your network to market your book more successfully. And that's a free ebook that's new and available. And I would encourage folks to go out and find that. Excellent. That's a great resource because you talked about that right at the very beginning. And maybe people just need that push and those ideas of how to get that community outreach started. Great. Becky, if you were to leave our listeners with a golden nugget, what would that be? I have used this one lots of times, and it's the first thing that comes to my mind you know, we talked at the beginning about what it takes to build an author platform. And I mentioned that I am far more fond of building community. And the only way that you can build community is to show up. I would encourage any aspiring authors or authors to really think about in what way they can choose with intention to show up in a way that adds value for others. Mm adding value for others. I think that is so key here is constantly seeing how you can do that. Well, you've added so much value to this podcast. I really appreciated it. It was a thrill to have you back at the show and thank you. And thank you all for taking time out of your precious day to listen to this interview. And I sincerely hope that it sparked some ideas you can use to sell more books. Here's wishing you much book marketing success. The time is now to take action and finally build your book selling empire. And the great news is that Susan is here to help you. Visit bookmarketingmentors.com and sign up for a free 15-minute book marketing strategy session with Susan. She'll help you discover your first steps to marketing and selling your book. Only those who take action are rewarded, so visit bookmarketingmentors.com, and we'll see you again next week.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.